So we are beginning a uh, seven-week series um, starting tonight, and it's called Fighting the Right Fight. And what we want to talk about is two things, what we fight for and what we should actually be fighting for, right? Fighting the right fight. Culture has painted a picture of what's important, and oftentimes, almost every time, it's in direct contrast to the picture that God's word paints for us. And more often than not, in our addiction, we're fighting the wrong fight, right? It's what feeds our addiction. If your marriage and your relationships are unhealthy, it's probably because you're fighting the wrong fight, right? You're fighting for things that, that don't matter or even worse, um, are counterproductive and destroy what you actually want and desire. And so again, we're gonna talk about fighting the right fight. Tonight's message is titled this, The Fight for Self-Importance. And I wanna let you in on a little secret. That's the wrong fight, right? We fight for self-indulgence. We fight to be important. We fight, right, for status. We fight for power. We fight for position. And those are all the wrong fights. And culture tells you that that's the thing that you should be pursuing. And it starts from such a young age. And it starts with innocent, right? Um, as your teacher says, you know, you can be anything in the world and it's important to go um, for uh, positions of great power and great authority. And, and we, we pursue that with everything. And our relationships, right? We, we fight to be the, the number one right? For our spouse to give us attention, right? To worship us. We have a saying, right? Happy wife, happy life, right? Because um, the, the wife has got to be the most important, even if it's the expense of the husband. Unless you're a dirtbag husband, then you've made yourself the one that's most important when really it should be a submission competition, right? Each person should be fighting to be less important than the other one if we want success. Um, but time and time again, Culture says that you need to pursue power, that you need to pursue position, that you need a position that you can be proud of. You need status that you can be proud of. People need to know your name. I mean, think about it. We have an entire app with millions upon millions of users all focused on people getting attention. In fact, we have multiples, right? Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Also, you can be the star, so you can be the center of attention. Every aspect, it got real quiet there. Man, that's kind of weird. I don't know what that's about, right? Um, we want people to know the great things we've done and our great accomplishments. And I'm guilty. We're all guilty of fighting the wrong fight, of fighting for things that don't matter. And this is pride. It's pride. And pride is something that entered early on, right? We see it from the very beginning um, in creation. When we look at Genesis, God created um, and it was good until it wasn't good. And it wasn't good the moment that pride entered the sin, we, or entered the scene. Um, it's actually what we consider to be the original sin. Um, and, and pride says that, that I know better than God. Um, that, that I know best, that I'm the most important, most valuable, um, that, that I've somehow elevated myself. Again, one could say that their sin did not start from the eating of the fruit, but in the pride that caused them to reach out and take it. To say, I know that God said, but I think I know better than God. And we can look at so many moments in our lives where we encounter the same thing. I know 
that God's word says I should love and honor my wife, but I'm right and she's wrong. And the most important thing is that she knows it. Or we could flip the script there. Maybe wives, you do that with your husbands. I know that God's word says that I should love my children, right? But I'm gonna be angry. I'm gonna yell. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cause them to turn to a place of wrath and anger. I know that God's word says I should be sober-minded, but I mean, surely he wasn't talking about this, I mean, or that, right? And we make excuses, and it's pride time and time and time again that causes us to turn our backs on God and, and pursue um, the sin in our lives that destroys us, destroys our lives and our situations. And so ultimately, pride causes us to elevate ourselves to the place of God. And it starts with innocence, right? We, we want to be known. We want to be TikTok famous, whatever it is. But we elevate ourselves to the place of God. And so instead of fighting to elevate ourselves, we should fight to go low, right? To, to humble ourselves, to submit to God and to submit to the others. The enemy pushes us into a rat race, convinces us that the most important things are money, position, power, and self-importance. And we fight in order to build monuments to our inflated ego. But it's not the right fight. It's not, it's not the right fight. We need to fight for humility. We need to fight to change our position. There's three things that I wanna talk about tonight. I wanna talk about God's position. I wanna talk about others' position. And lastly, I wanna talk about your position. So as we start out tonight, we're gonna to be in 1 Corinthians chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 18. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open it up again to 1 Corinthians. It's in your New Testament. It's one of the epistles um, by Paul, the apostle Paul. Um, he wrote this to the church in Corinth um, to address some sin. If you do not have a Bible, um, we take the time every week uh, to place these notes in the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have a smartphone, um, which I'm sure many of you do, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. And on the events tab, you can download download um, the message notes there and you can follow along that way. And then most of the things that we use are going to be up on the screen. First um, Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, it says this, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligence. And so Paul is talking to them about the gospel. And I remember being um, one of the people that Paul's talking about here that thought this was all um, foolish nonsense. I didn't buy into it. Um, it seemed ridiculous that somehow I could show up to a building and I could sit in a pew and I could raise my hand and God would begin to deal with my problems that I somehow couldn't deal with on my own. Pride kept me from ever submitting and pride led me to 18 years of addiction. Humility led me to the now seven plus years of freedom that I have. But it was foolish to begin with, right? And as we jump down to verse 24, it says this, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we see Jesus, that's Christ, to those that have been saved, we begin to recognize that it is the power of God that begins to move and to change our life. It is the wisdom of God that sets us free. It's not foolishness to those of us that have encountered it, right? Experienced its truth. This 
foolish plan of God is wiser. Say wiser. Wiser than the wisest human plans. Wiser than the wisest human plans. That's why around here at Cedar Point Recovery, we are solely Christ-centered in our recovery because I don't care who wrote the book, it'll never be better than the book, right? God's word as far as delivering people from sin and addiction, that there's no newfound, confound thing out there that's gonna come into existence today that's better than what God has, right? God's plan is wiser than the wisest thing out there and that's why we are solely Christ-centered in our recovery. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And I love that because I was, I thought I was so strong, right? I I fought through the trauma of abuse, and I fought through the the past and and the things that I had went through, Um, but I wasn't really fighting through anything at all. I was medicating and destroying, and and I was lost, And, and just a little bit of God changed everything. Just, just a little bit of God was far more powerful than the best that I had to offer. And so God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few, say few, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. I love that. Aren't you grateful that God calls the hurting, the broken, and the lost, that he lifts us up, that he saves us, man? I love that. It's one of my favorite things, that God uses messed up people, that God saves messed up people, right? Because that was me, and that's you. And, and that's, that was all of us, right? We all came from that. Even if you walked into a relationship with God and you thought you were successful by God's standards, we can see in God's words that even the most powerful are nothing in comparison to God. Even the wisest are nothing compared to the wisdom of God. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead... Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. That's one of the reasons when we look through God's word, we see him using murderers, right? And and people with depression and all sorts of issues, right? And, And utilizing them to carry out his plan and his purpose. God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame um, those who are powerful. And he chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Now, that may be a little confusing, that verse there, but but God, God uses things that the world discarded, discards, to to show how great he is, right? To elevate his name. I love the way the Amplified says it. And the Amplified is another translation. It drags it out just a little bit and gives us a little more insight. On verse 28, it says, God has selected for his purpose the insignificant base things of the world and the things that are despised and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, so that he might reduce to nothing the things that are. Man, he, he lifts us up. And I love that because that means he takes the high school dropout, right? The, the guy that went to two years of high school that, that didn't graduate, right? That came from the wrong side of the tracks and the wrong family. And he'll, he'll use me. 
And that's beautiful because if he'll use me, he'll use anybody, right? <laughs> if, he'll, if he'll take this brokenness and, and do something with it, there's hope for everybody in the world. And that's the beautiful thing here. Can I take a moment? Can I take a moment and, and offend some people tonight? I, I, I want to. I want to. I want you to hear this. You, you, didn't, you didn't lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Did you know that? I mean, I hate that saying. People say, I, I did this. You didn't do crap, all right? You didn't lift yourself up. You did not fight your way out of addiction all by yourself. I don't care. I don't care if it was before you came to Jesus or after. His hand was on your life the whole time. You didn't do it by yourself. If your marriage is great, that's not because of you, right? That's not you alone. That that in every good and pleasing thing, we see the presence of a loving God, right? His Holy Spirit moving. You didn't single-handedly break generational curses, right? Or, Or change your family dynamic. God was in all all of that. He, he broke the cycles that, that withheld things from your family that kept you trapped in bondage. God worked in and through your situation to accomplish greater works, to accomplish greater works. Good things before you were saved were just you getting in the way of God's grace, right? God was so good that God was so good that you accidentally experienced his goodness even before you knew him. And, and what I want you to know tonight, point number one is this, we've got to learn to give credit where credit's due. You're not that great. You're not that important. God is, man. Every good and pleasing thing we have is a result of God and his Holy Spirit moving and working. And that's beautiful and that's great because that means it's not all dependent on you, right? That's the beauty of it. Because if I had to hold it all together, couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do it. Every fight with my wife, I would be just jumping the gasoline and lighting matches and burning it down, right? I'm not the only one, am I? Marriage is hard sometimes, right? But luckily, it's not, it's not up to me. It's not, it's not just me alone. It's, it's me, Janelle, and God, right? When it comes to my sobriety and being clean and sober, it's me and God, right? And he's brought me a partner that, that fights with me, that's in it, that prays for me in a beautiful church family, right? He, he, it's not just us alone. And we have to stop fighting. We have to stop fighting to make ourselves the most important and the strongest one out there. There's beauty in our weakness, God's word says, when we are weak, he is strong, right? That that he moves in our weakness when full to submit to him. And so again, point number one, we must give credit where credit is due. Verse 29 says this, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. When you you learn this and understand it and you place it in your heart, you you realize you've just got to give credit where credit's due. Before you knew God, God was moving. Before you ever opened a Bible, God was moving. Before you ever stepped foot in here, God was moving. God's done things your entire life because he loves you. He's pursued you, right? He left the 99, man. He was, he was there every moment, every way seeking you. And we've got to give credit where credit's due. James 1, 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow, right? Every good and pleasing thing comes from God for the believer and the unbeliever. 
the beauty of being a believer is we finally know, understand, and see it, right? That we've got to understand, man, God has been so good to me when I didn't deserve it. When I didn't deserve it, God's been so good to me. And we've got to give credit where credit's due and fight the right fight, right? Don't fight to go high, fight to go low. Man, let it take you to your knees where you just cry out, thank God, thank you, God, that for years before my eyes were open, you loved me and you moved and you were there. It makes it so much more beautiful, so much more beautiful. Now, as we look at point number two, I want you to do this. I want you to turn, you're still in 1 Corinthians, but we're gonna go from chapter one all the way to chapter 12, um, and we're gonna start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Um, here, Paul's talking about unity, right? Unity um, is, uh, sometimes it's a scary word. Sometimes it's a difficult word because um, it means we have to be united with people we don't like. Anybody in here not like somebody? Don't look at your spouse, all right? Um, right? There's, there's just times it's difficult. It's difficult to love people, right? I know lots of people that are difficult to love, right? I've got six of them. They live with me. Some of you know how many kids I have, you know what, what the joke was. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. If any of my kids are in here, I love you guys. I'm, I'm serious. Um, <laughs> it says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And pause right there. We can all look at this statement. You don't have to be a theologian to see what's true here, right? We, we see people, every part of the body, fingers, toes, hands, arms, head, right? It makes up one body. Different bodies look a little different than other bodies, right? Some have more hair than others, things like that. Um, some are a little thicker, thinner, whatever. But, but we get the picture, right? The same is with the body of Christ. So we see out here, people look different and the body can look different. So we're going to go on. We've got that. <clears throat> it says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slave, and some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And so what he's talking about here is the church, not just Cedar Point, right? But the church, the body of Christ, everyone who would call upon the name of Jesus, lift it up as the most high, right? And, and submit, submit to God, right? And ask him for forgiveness and, and all of that, that. The church, that's what Paul's talking about here. And so um, we've all been baptized in that. Everyone, again, who's a Christian says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part, not just one part. So if the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, that, uh, would that make it any less a part of the body? And so what I, what I wanna point out here is we are different, right? Would everybody agree, right? No, no, no two of us are alike. And that's a good thing, right? Because we're going to see in just a little bit why it's a good thing. But just because you're different, if you declare as a Christian that you're not a part of the church because you're different, that doesn't make you any less a part of the church. Um, it goes on. If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? So basically, Paul's saying, hey, listen, if we were all thumbs, that would be bad, right? I mean, we get that, right? That's no good. That's no good. We don't all want to be the same. 
We shouldn't all want to be the same. But, but we fight for that, right? We look at other people and we get upset and say, well, I'm not like them. And we, we you know, remove value from what we have to offer. Worse yet, and you may think something worse yet, worse yet, we look at other people that aren't like us and we pass judgment on them and say they don't have anything to offer. But Paul says, everybody doesn't need to be you. Actually, that would be bad. It would be bad. And, and I, I'm broken enough that if you've been around me for any period of time, you know that if everybody were like me, it would be bad. It would be, it'd be horrible. I, I have impulse issues, severe impulse issues. I don't plan things well. I'm sporadic. This would not exist in any form or fashion if everybody who led in this ministry asked me and everybody who leads with me said, amen, right? It's crazy. It's, we just know. Sometimes I just get up here and say things and people ask me later, like, what is wrong with you? What are, you never even talked about that. Now you're just doing stuff and you didn't communicate anything. How is this going to happen? And my poor wife, man, she, bless her heart, she, she doesn't even know what's going on half the time with me. And she probably thinks I'm mentally ill, right? But, but if we're all the same, that's bad, right? That's bad. And so Paul's word, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? And so point number two, when, when we're fighting the right fight, right? Fighting not for position, not to be powerful, not to be in a place of authority, but fighting the right fight, not to be self-important, but fighting to go low, we must embrace and honor the gifts of others. You, it's not about you. You're not the most important person. You're not the most important person. It, it, it's, it's us collectively. God calls us collectively. God uses us collectively, right? He leverages each of our gifts to carry out his plan. Catch that, his, not your plan even, his plan. He didn't call us all together to do what you wanna do, right? It's about him. It's about him, and, and we have to learn to embrace and honor the gifts of others. I'm the worst at this. I really am. And you may be like, but you're the pastor. You're leading this ministry. You're supposed to be a man of God, this, that, and the other. Hey, you're, you're probably totally right. Um, I struggle sometimes to value people around me. Why? Because I'm broken. I struggle with arrogance. I struggle with pride. This is one of the biggest hindrances in my life. No joke. This is hard. But it's what we're called to. It's what we're called to, right? It, it's, what, it's what makes us effective. God wants you to be effective in what he's called you to. And you have to begin to see the values in others. And when you do, when you're struggling, you'll stop running away and trying to take care of it on your own. You know what? Because you're going to realize God's placed ears in your life that listen better than you, thumbs, right? That, that when we realize God's gifted people in areas you desperately need, you'll turn to them instead of run from them, right? You'll embrace them and lift them up instead of trying to be an ear when you don't belong as an ear, right? 
that, that you'll, you'll elevate them. And in doing so, you'll be blessed beyond measure. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. My wife, she is so much more compassionate than me and kind, right? I struggle in empathy. I have to go to her. She helps me to empathize with people. And, and, and there's so many things in my life that I have so many shortcomings that I wouldn't be half the man I am today if I didn't see everything that she does. Jill and Caleb, they, they, they've stepped back in a way where they get, hey, give them a hand, man, because I mean, the three of them are, are the glue that holds all this together, right? And, and if, if I were so insecure that I didn't allow them to do what God's called them to do, this would be a circus. It would be a circus, right? But he's gifted them in a way. And if they didn't see that God gifted me differently than them and allow me to do what we do, again, this wouldn't be the way that it is. And we have to learn. We have to learn to let people operate in their giftings, to encourage it, to stop trying to be everything for everyone, right? To work in unity, to work in unity. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? We must embrace and honor the gifts of those around us. He goes on in verse 18 and 19. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part, say each part, each part just where he wants it. If you submit to God, you may not feel like you're in the, the best position, the most glorified place, but you can be just where God wants you. You can operate just how God wants you to operate if you'll submit to him. Maybe if you just stop trying to be something you weren't called to be, right? God put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. I'm gonna say that again. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. How often do we do that? All from a place of pride, where if we just humble ourselves, we can be blessed and we'll find people that journey with us through the dark places. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need to recognize the importance of every member of the body. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. The most necessary. Even here, this is not the most important thing that takes place at a church. And sometimes we think it is. And people will fight to get up here on the platform. But, but can I tell you, I rarely encounter somebody who was saved by my preaching. I encounter people that encountered God because one of you had an intimate conversation with him. Sunday, same thing, right? That when we operate, when the place that we feel like this is the least important, it's where the most ministry takes place, it's where the most fellowship takes place, it's where the most healing takes place, the most growth that takes place comes from places that we feel like are the, the least important, the least important, right? In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, the most necessary. In verse 27, he says this, all of you together, say together, all of you together are Christ's body 
and each of you is a part of it. What a beautiful thing to embrace, right? Stop fighting. <clears throat> Stop fighting to be a single part body. It's weird. It's weird. You're not, you're not meant to be that, right? Don't fight for self-importance. Fight for humility. Fight for humility. I want you to do this. Turn back to uh, Mark. We're going to Mark as we look at point number three as we begin to close. Mark is one of your gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark. So second book of the New Testament. Um, If you hit um, Luke or John, you've gone too far. Um, But we're going to look at Mark. And so here in Mark, to kind of set this up, um, Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. In Mark 10, 33 and 34, it says this. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And so here we have Jesus pouring his heart out. Hey, listen, Babs telling him, I'm gonna go die. That's what's gonna happen. But here we see in verse 35, it says, then, say then, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. And I just love that. It's one of these things that just allows me to see how real God's word is. Jesus is like spilling his heart out, right? Man, I'm gonna go die. The son of man is gonna be lifted up, beaten, flogged, spit on. And then James and John are like, hey man, can you do us a favor? What is your request? He asked. I can just... I don't know, man. I'm just kind of reading into it a little bit. I can see Jesus like, yeah, what do you want? Like, clearly you didn't listen to anything I said. So go ahead, go ahead. Um, They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, apparently they completely missed the whole beat, flogged and whipped thing. Hey, when you sit on your throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering? You know, the one I just talked about? Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering? I am about to drink. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? I love this next part, verse 39. Oh yes, they replied, right? If it comes with position, we'll do anything for a promotion, Jesus, because it's about us. If it's gonna be about you, it's gonna be about us. We want that place of authority. We want that place of power, right, God? We want people to know our names and and submit to us. Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John were asked, they were indignant. They're like, pfft making a power grab around here. Like, what? Right? It, they, they, they weren't like, hey, man, like, did you not hear what Jesus did said? Like, I mean, he's, he's going to suffer. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those over them. And again, I love this, written 2,000 years ago. How true is that today, right? Every politician, both signs, right? Uh, management, things like that. We see this all the time. People in positions lord it over the people that are below them, right? Flaunt their authority and their power. But he says this, he says, but among you, see, among us. 
That's you, right? A part of the body, right? We established that. Everyone who would call upon the name of Jesus. So we know that here in Mark, Jesus' statement is directed at all of us. But among you, it will be different. Say different. Different. So if it's different, maybe we shouldn't be fighting for power and authority to flaunt it over those around us, right? To lord our positions over our underlings. No, among us, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Say servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave. Say slave. Slave of everyone else. So among us, it must be different. So we're fighting the wrong fight when we fight for position of power, right? When we, when we fight so that people will cower to us and recognize our accomplishments in some type of reverent fear, that's not what God called us to. That's destructive. That's pride. In fact, it may be feeding your addiction. It may be feeding your abusive relationship. It may be part of the problem, right? Because remember, it's a submission competition. We have to fight to go low, not to go high. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave for everyone else. Point number three is this. We must understand what true greatness is. What true greatness is. It's not being at the top. It's being at the bottom. The last is the first. The last is the first. There's things that I do in my household that try to and I'm not always the greatest at this. I'm really not. But when we eat dinner, right, I try to break the stigma. I'm the very last person to sit at the table, right? I, I, I'm the very last person to take a plate. Everyone else, all seven others in my family, they eat first, right? Why do I do that? To let my family know I value them, that I value them. And there's things that we should do to serve those around us, right? that I go last. I remember, this is way back, way back. I was still in the court system on paper, <laughs> terrible court costs. I mean, everybody with court costs knows how that can be. I couldn't eat. I remember I thought, I'll go down to the DA's office and I'll explain my situation and they'll have compassion for me. Uh, yeah, everybody who's laughing has been there. And I'm like, I don't have money for groceries. And they're like, too bad. And I remember eating dinner sometimes and I'm like, man, I really hope my two-year-old doesn't eat all of that last chicken breast we have because I really want to eat. And that butt, he ate all that chicken breast, right? But, but I want to serve my kid, right? I want to be good to him, right? We, we need to serve those around us. We must understand what true greatness is. It's not, it's not power like the world says. It's not authority like what the world says. It, it's going out there and thinking of others as greater than yourself, serving them, serving them. Our addiction is selfish. Our abusive relationships are selfish, right? When we, when we lord things over um, those around us, right? We have, to, we have to serve those, our children, our community, our family. Give back where you've taken. Give back double what you've received. It says this in verse 45. This is Jesus. He said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus, son of God, God in a body. He said, and if you think you're too good, even I came to serve you and to serve everyone. So if you think you're too good, even the son of man 
came to serve, not to be served. Again, point number three, if we're fighting the right fight, we must understand what true greatness is. I want us to do this right where you're at. I want everybody, close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to just begin to spend a moment with God. Begin to ask him, God, is there somewhere I'm missing it? Is there a place where I've allowed pride to creep in? Where, where I think that I know better than you, where I think I'm better than those around me. Allow God to begin to speak to you just about your situation and just where you're at. Father, I just thank you, Lord. God, I thank you so much that, God, the work that you've done in each of our lives that would call upon you, God, is so great and so profound that none of us can boast. Father, that every good and pleasing thing that we have is a gift from you. Lord, and I just pray that you would help us to see and to recognize that all of our blessings, Lord, are a result of your grace and your goodness, of your mercy, of your love. Father, that none of us can boast, that none of us can elevate ourselves above or beyond the work that you've done. Lord, and I just pray, God, that you would help us to see that, to understand that, God, and to let go of pride, Lord, to stop fighting for position and, and fight to serve those around us, to fight to give back. God, to, to fight to be humble. And I thank you, God, that no matter how many times we miss it, God, that that beautiful grace that you extend in the beginning is extended to us in every situation where we blow it. And I just pray, Lord, for everyone who needs grace tonight, give grace, God. And just help us to have the strength and the courage, Father, to operate in humility as we go out throughout this week. And we pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, great. Well, we know from James, right, James 1.22, that we're not to just be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. So we've got some action step for you tonight. Number one, honestly evaluate your shortcomings your strengths and your limitations. I can't tell you how many action steps we have that start with that evaluation. It is so important that we look in the mirror. We allow God's spirit to speak to us and point out things in our lives that offend him. Number two, recognize and acknowledge the strengths in others. Force it if necessary. Fake it till you make it. I don't care. You're not the most important. Look for the value in those around you. Again, this is one of my biggest struggles. But with practice, the grace of God, we can learn to value those around us because they're worth valuing. Number three, work towards putting others' needs before your, your own. Even the Son of Man came to serve. Serve those around you. Number four, pray and ask God for the strength and the courage to follow through on this. And I put that last part one because we should pray, but... It takes strength and courage to submit to those around us, right? To operate in humility. It's hard. It's hard. If it were easy, you'd probably already be doing it. So ask for God to guide and direct you in it. Ask God to guide and direct you in it. And so we, we touched on this in point number one, 
right, that we need to give credit where credit's due. And, and we talked about how this is a Christ-centered recovery program. And it's, it's through the work of the cross that, that we're, we're where we're at today. Well, you may be in here and you've never made that decision, right? You've never experienced God's grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness in that way. Well, if that's you, we don't want you to leave here tonight without that opportunity. It's the greatest decision you can make. It's where you realize you can't save yourself, which at this point is probably abundantly obvious anyways, right? You realize you can't save yourself. You realize that Jesus can. And you recognize that he is the son of God, that he lived and died as a sacrifice so you could be saved and forgiven. And you're ready to make him Lord, authority over your life. If that's you, here in just a moment, we're gonna have some men and women down at the front. They would love to pray with you and for you so you can make the greatest decision of your life, the decision to become a Jesus follower tonight. And, and number two, maybe you're in here and you've done that, but you've gotten off track. And, and you, you need to recommit, right? To, to re-recognize that you need God. You got confused or, man, you went back to that pride and thought you could do it all alone and, and you want to come back home tonight. Well, that same offer stands. We're going to have some people down at the front. They would love to pray with you and for you so that you can recommit tonight. And then maybe you need a white chip. And if you're in here for the first time, you're like, what is a white chip? It's a piece of plastic. Nothing special about it, but there's something significant about when we act in faith, right? When we step out of our seat, knowing that when we come down here in faith to grab one of these and surrender to God that he's going to honor our faith, our sacrifice, and our surrender, and he's going to move. And so if you have something that you want to let go of tonight, I want to encourage you to come pick up one of these white chips. And then lastly, maybe you're in here tonight and you just need prayer. If that's you, we would love to pray with you and for you. This is a house of prayer. And so if you need prayer tonight, same offer, come on down. Right, so if you wanna give your life to Jesus for the first time, recommit, pick up a white chip or just to receive prayer, we wanna encourage you to come down front and join us tonight. And if everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.